Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Jared Kernop, Raging Demon, Masked Llama, Ozzy Garcia, Keith Gasper, and Diskaimera. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 99 of Retro Hangover. Classic gamers, welcome to the podcast where we are allocating an alleviation against adult addictions again. This is episode 99 of Retro Hangover. I am your co-host, Chris Copleen, with special guest Lindsay, and as always, Shane, Red Dick Dragon Queen Koski. <laughs> there is so much to unpack right there. Also, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and just surface this right on the beginning, because I think there's a certain someone that will be listening to this episode on YouTube at some point. I just want to say that no one can ever say we don't take uh, constructive feedback. We, we're, we're working on maybe tweaking our intro a little bit to be a little less um, aggressive, maybe. So y'all let us know how that is for you. Hopefully those of you that... Uh, that utilize us as a sleep aid. <laughs> Hopefully this is working better for you. So you're welcome. The other thing is too, is our patrons kind of said, yeah, we skip over when you yell. So uh, <laughs> they appreciated the energy, maybe not the audio so much. I'm also going to be gone for two and a half months. Finally, I think after this episode, pretty much confirmed and I can't be yelling in hotel rooms like I normally do anyway. So, Hey, look, if you don't like it on this episode, you're going to hear it for probably about another three or four, just like it's been today. That's right. Unavoidable. So look, if people like it, they like it. If they don't, hey, you're going to deal with it just for a couple more episodes. OK, but make sure you provide that feedback. Yeah. I mean, the, those of you that uh, evidently aren't huge fans of the the scream, you've been dealing it with it for almost 100 episodes now. So. Yeah, just about, just about. But Lindsay, hi, yeah, hi, welcome to the show. Hello. Is it unavoidable or unavoidable? Because I feel like unavoidable isn't a word. It's it's unavoidable, but I was gonna let that one go. But thank you for calling him out on oh, his yeah, yeah, grammar. Yeah. Somebody's got to do it. That's why I'm here. I think. You know what? English language is always evolving, and it should be controlled by the people who speak it, and not by the people who write dictionaries. That's right, comrade. Yeah, you tell Weber he's got a thing or two to learn from Chris Copley. <laughs> Webster, not right. Weber. We gotta, we yeah, stick Webster it to big Merriam. dictionary. <laughs> Die, big dictionary. It's okay, I'll Wait. just ignore my English degree. It's fine. <laughs> I had a comment about 
ignoring <laughs> English degrees, but I feel like that might be too mean. So I'm going to let that one go. <laughs> it's okay. There, uh, There's a whole musical Avenue Q about how useless it is. It's fine. I went That's there. true. Yeah, I did it because it was a passion. I had a uh, minor in creative writing. So it was mostly writing courses that I took. And I'm an accountant, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So it all worked out, is, is yeah, what you're exactly. saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Great. I'm just going to defend myself and say that I was trying to say inevitable, but then it became unavoidable for me to say unavoidable. <laughs> nice catch. That's fair. Okay. I'm def- okay. And that's fine. That's how you write poetry. <sighs> I live in a wonderland of oh. Oof. English. This smells like a segue. <laughs> Not a very good one because we have plenty to cover before we get to that part. But yes, today's episode is on the game called American McGee's Alice, which is based off or a sequel to or something involving Alice in Wonderland. We'll get into that. That's right. But before we get into that, as we are wont to do, we are going to be discussing the games we have been playing. So, Lindsay, you are our guest today. How about you kick it off? And what have you been playing? What have you been up to? I have almost only been playing Pokemon Unite. It's encompassed my life and all of my emotional well-being. As as a good MOBA should. It's a lot of fun. We've we've been playing a lot with Josh. He was playing it before. And then I think I told someone, I don't know if it was y'all, but he was getting really frustrated like, you know, angry and stuff. And I was like, oh, I bet that's a fun game. So I started playing it. And now we're both frustrated <laughs> together. Aww. That's mm. adorable. Aww. And for anyone who also plays, I you, I started with Eldegrass, and I mostly play Kressel now. So it's kind of between those two. Shane, do you know these Pokemon? Ah, fuck if I... Uh, is this part of the first 150 nodes that I don't not know? Not at all. I, you know, I didn't even know what Crustle was until Unite, and I had to look him up. So, you know, and I had recognized... <laughs> and, you know, both of them are in Pokemon Snap, the new one. So, yeah. gee, yeah. I remember that episode fondly. <laughs> and I learned because of these two... It was in Pokemon Snap, and it was in Pokemon Unite. And I was like, I've seen that before. and I But I had to look it up. Like, I don't, I don't... I recognize Charizard and Venusaur. And then, I, you know, I was like, this is cool looking. He looks like a cake, like a chocolate cake. I mean, why not? Right. Which also happens to be a Pokemon. But I mean, at some <laughs> point, you know, they just there's only so many objects. Right. Do they have an animated portrait yet? That must be one somewhere. I'm sure they have a sword. I know that. Yeah. The sword Can- and candelabra. Shield. Candelabra. Yeah, candelabra. An ice cream cone. A literal bag of trash. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's that's a good point you brought up there, Lindsay, since our last episode was Pokemon Snap that we, you were on with us. That's true. And we recorded that before that episode, before new Pokemon Snap came out. What were your what's, what's your brief experience, like a brief review of what you thought about Pokemon Snap, new Pokemon Snap? I really liked it. There was something missing from it, like as far as a nostalgic feeling goes. I think it was just way too new and awesome. It didn't feel like the old game, but it was still like really good. Like there's like way a lot of stuff to do, but they also took out like force evolving and, and the and the poker flute. It sucks. You know, I talked about the poker flute on the first one mm-hmm. and now it just has one tune that's really annoying. So it's it was actually very disappointing, but <laughs> uh, it's so beautiful. And all the all the Pokemon noises and stuff are, are really awesome. So like I. I think I, I almost 100 percented it. I still have to get all the photos, but um, it's still a really good game. I recommend it. 
Nice. If only it came out on the Wii U, then it could be uh, an all-time classic. <laughs> then it could be perfect. <sighs> Missed opportunities. All right, Shane, how about you? If any of you that are listening happened to join in on our last stream Sunday uh, at the time of recording this, uh, or happened to see it on the YouTube, you you might have caught that uh, patron and our beloved editor, Ashton, brought up playing Diablo 3 again, which reminded me that a new season probably started, to which he then informed me it had started about a month ago. So I was like, shit, I got to get on that. Uh, so that's what I've been doing. I, I was playing and this is I mean, whatever, this is spoilers for future episodes, I guess. But I was playing a lot of Earthbound for reasons. And then I have put that completely on pause to start leveling my my fresh seasonal barbarian so that I can finish up uh, all the seasonal challenges for season 24. So that's pretty much all I've been doing as far as gaming goes. A lot of Diablo 3. Uh, also, I may or may not have gotten sucked into the latest mobile game craze that is Marvel Future Revolution. So we'll see how that goes. It's it's pretty neat. It's a little action RPG for your for your mobile phone. It's real slick as far as the graphics go. It's it's like console quality. So that's pretty impressive. However, it's chock full of shitty microtransactions and it's run by Netmarble. So if anybody has any familiarity with mobile games, you probably know how awful Netmarble is as a company. So yeah, we'll we'll see how long that one lasts for me, but at least for now it's it's been it's been enjoyable. That's awesome. Yeah. Except it's not. I get irrationally angry when a mobile game looks so good. Yeah, right? Like when you look at it and you're like, gosh, that looks great. Yeah. For out for Android and get it at your iOS Play Store. I'm like, I don't Why do you look so great? Just put it on a real console. <laughs> you put so much time into it. Looking at you, Squaresoft, your Final Fantasy Pixel perfect remastered bullshit yeah they're absolutely awful i mean to be fair that's also on steam too but you know it's fine steam's not a console shane i was was gonna say it's not a console that's (laughs) well it's also not mobile which i think is really the point here but i'll show you what'd you call a steam deck i mean also while we're (laughs) while we're talking about mobile ports and companies just totally selling out on there um, anybody happen to see that the the next iteration of the Near series is a mobile exclusive like microtransaction game? That's fun. Yeah, isn't that great? Excited. <laughs> I'm so excited to to not spend money on Near. Yeah, yeah. It, mm-hmm. and they uh, I think they're they uh, have characters in another game. Like they they sent the main character over to another mobile game to sort of introduce. Like you know how you in one of those gotcha games. I think. Oh you yeah. Can get, one of the yeah. near characters there and it's like a promo for their mobile game. Oh sure. Yeah, no, of course. That happens all the time. Right, right. Oh, you can get SpongeBob this this season. Like, oh, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what made Near fantastic was all the gotcha elements they put in Automata. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what really pushed it over the top in terms of popularity. I'm really looking forward to gambling to get the character that I want to actually play as. Yep. It's real exciting. <laughs> Maybe maybe you'll have a deep introspective self-reflection portion about you are the bad guy for buying all this content. I mean, to be fair, that actually would be pretty cool if they did that. I mean, they won't. But if any game series was going to do it, 
I feel like it would be near. Yes. Yeah, like if if the your gotcha characters were like getting increasingly irritated as you spent more money trying to get other characters, or like, what's wrong with us? Why do you keep rolling? Like the the game actually gets harder the more money you put into it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Your best characters die as you spend more money. They just they commit seppuku, and they're like, I am no longer worth your attention. Please, master. (laughs) There is like this really like crazy scene where they're trying to like win your favor and you had no idea what's going on because you were not expecting this out of the game. You see them start worshiping you as a god. Yeah, they start like subtly hinting that they're going to murder everyone else in your collection. <laughs> Do I not please you? <laughs> that'd be great. I'd love that. Yeah, that'd be really cool on console. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, uh, so Chris, yeah. what, what have, what have you been up to? I assume not mobile games. No, I've actually got quite a bit to talk about. I played spec up the spec ops, the line mm. for the 360. I played it in my series X and I'm debating whether or not I want to do a rapid fire review on that or just wait for an episode because I just think like that game is a game that if, if you like shooters whatsoever, or just like a, a a commentary on kind of video games. It's a game you should play, but I also think it's more than that. I think if you, if you go into it any more than what I'm vaguely saying here, it spoils some things. And a lot of it was spoiled for me going into it, which, which kind of hurt the experience, but it's still a game that is well worth playing today. Uh, But if it has been spoiled from you, yeah, a lot of those things that you see in the game are the impact is greatly reduced. So I don't want to give anything away when it comes to that game. I also briefly fired up Radiant Silver Gun and I forgot that game is fantastic. And it's even better on a Saturn than it is on the Xbox 360. So, uh, yeah, great time with some Radiant Silver Gun. Nice. But a story I, sh- I should have brought it up last week was a, a time I had at Leaderboard Arcade. Not the most recent time when I was there with with everybody. But the time before that, I went there with my friend Danny and I finally beat Marvel versus Capcom 2 in the arcade. Wow. I don't know if leaderboard has leaderboard is, of course, our local barcade here in Jackson Orange Park. <laughs> I don't know if the difficulty setting on it is really low, but somehow I managed to beat the arcade mode. And that was funny because I thought I was going to get my ass served me on a platter because Servbot alone almost took out my entire party on like the second battle. So I thought like I was screwed, but I somehow managed to make it all the way through the end. And then there was some dude that was playing on like a I guess it was a pie or right off his phone. He was playing Capcom versus SNK2. My friend Danny, he was like, yeah, you you should play him. He's like really good at fighting games. I'm like, no, I suck at fighting games. And this guy had like his own custom arcade stick that he brought in. Oh, no. And like it was all custom. He had his phone hooked up. It was on this screen over by like the you, uh, you know where the drink vending machines are, uh, Lindsay, because I know you go there. Yeah, it's like right there, right in those chairs. I'm like thinking, man, this guy's a pro gamer. He's <laughs> like, hey, you want to play? I'm like, oh, man, I'm really bad. I'm going to look bad. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, sure. So I, I he hands me a controller. It's a, a 8 bit do like SN whatever. And I'm like, OK. I'll, I'll just play one round and he'll kick my ass and it'll be good. So I picked my party and I won. I'm like, oh, OK, Whoa, this is all right. He's just suckering me in. And then he picked another party and I didn't get to change it because I got to him in arcade mode and I beat him again. So I, I kept beating him like five or six times. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, you know, it's just uh, 
it's because I'm cheesing it. I'm just it's that's the only reason I'm cheesing it. And he just he's trying to learn my patterns. I just kept whooping this dude's ass. Wow. <laughs> so he changed he changed the game to Street Fighter Alpha 3. What? And his main was uh, Relento. And like he had a main character he was always focusing on. So I was like, OK, I'll just go to Sakura. Like he's been working me with Relento. And then I worked him. And then I picked another character and it just got to the point where I picked a character I used to be good at when I was really young, when it was Guy. And then he whooped my ass. I'm like, you got me, man. Uh, <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I see. I told you I was bad at fighting games. So um, <laughs> like 12 wins later. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Two hours later, you finally I've told you. <laughs> it's uh, it's because you're not used to the arcade stick. It's it's that's it. You're used right. to a controller. I, I totally get it. It's too custom. Yeah, <laughs> I got to say, though, that's just like a I feel like that's kind of a weird flex of just like showing up at an arcade with your own arcade stick hooked up to like your own shit. Like that's just that seems weird to me. It's very intimidating. Maybe he's practicing. Yeah, he was practicing. It was yeah. super intimidating. I thought he was going to wreck me, but I was just like, are you going to start like whenever you're ready, dude? Um, I'm not good. <laughs> you were already playing the metagame before you even like he was playing the intimidation card you were playing the humble I'm old what do I know card and like you just said to see what what happened on the actual battlefield you know meta is very important in fighting games yeah exactly and the entire time my friend he was like uh, uh wow you're you're beating his ass I'm like it's just because I'm just I'm cheesing it I'm totally just doing the same move over and over again and it's it's a cheap tactic and you know he'll he'll figure it out he he didn't and uh <laughs> this character's banned for a reason <laughs> you know and I, he's doing this to counter my tactics and like you know nothing no i know nothing about fighting games no not a thing maybe this isn't a fighting game at all <laughs> maybe that's our problem it's a party game yeah it's metal slug tactics yeah uh. <laughs> I want to play that game. So there's my there's my long story. There it is. Right there. Well, congratulations on humiliating a dude at the arcade. <laughs> right. And then talking about it on your podcast to further increase. <laughs> <laughs> one, one day he'll be really good with Rolento on an arcade stick. I have faith in yeah. him. There you go. But you know what I have better faith in? Do you? is looking through the looking glass oh. and seeing that a brief history will be told very soon. Mm. And this brief history will be told by Shane Kosky. Oh, my God. I know. It's crazy. Whoa. And he's going to be talking about American McGee's Alice. So, Shane, how about you take it away and give us a brief history of that oddly named game? In 1997, one of id Software's lead-level designers, American McGee, decided he wanted to strike out on his own, leaving the world of space marines and first-person shooters behind in favor of something a bit more... whimsical. McGee would find his inspiration in author Lewis Carroll's classics Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. Stories with somewhat darker elements already present in the fringes, McGee's intention was to turn this edginess up to 11. 
Initial concepts for the game's plot, such as having Alice murder an abusive stepfather, proved to be too dark for publisher Electronic Arts, who swiftly struck them down, forcing McGee to keep the game simple while still telling a robust story. Ultimately, McGee decided his tale would be more of a spin-off adventure, leveraging Carol's stories as purely inspirational source material, rather than functioning as a continuation or sequel to the author's established works. Development began in earnest once EA licensed Ritual Entertainment's Heavy Metal FAKK's engine for the game. You could say that this was a move to coincide with McGee's pedigree, as it was a modified Quake 3 engine. While all accounts seem to suggest no major issues during the development process itself, the relationship between McGee and EA would prove to be contentious. The first of many clashes was over the game's title. EA, wanting an easier method of protecting their trademark, slapped McGee's name on the game against his wishes. Another butting of heads occurred when McGee fought for Alice to receive an M rating from the ESRB, making it the first mature-rated title in EA's library, as he did not want parents to mistakenly purchase the game for their children during the upcoming holiday release window, a decision he would come to regret. I am destined to battle the Red Queen. The outcome is uncertain. The final straw, however, was when EA cancelled a version of Alice for the PS2, which ended up being the single largest contributing factor to the shuttering of development studio Rogue Entertainment. A bridge too far, this decision was the catalyst behind McGee's departure from EA, to whom he would not return until Alice's sequel, Madness Returns, 11 years later. Despite the increasingly tenuous relations between creator and publisher, American McGee's Alice would release worldwide on December 6th of 2000 for Windows PCs to high critical praise and warm commercial reception. Most reviewers applauded the game's graphical fidelity and ominous atmosphere. Sales were respectable for a PC exclusive, with around 360,000 units sold and was in the top 50 best-selling PC games of all time in the United States shortly after release. As mentioned earlier, Alice would receive a sequel in 2011 with Alice Madness Returns for the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and Windows PC, which would include the original game as free DLC. Outside of this bundle, however, Alice seems to be largely abandonware, as it is currently unavailable for purchase from any major digital distributor an unfortunate rarity for such a highly esteemed title. While it has certainly found its way to cult classic status, American McGee's Alice may be doomed to forever wander in Wonderland. And that is your brief history of American McGee's Alice. It's funny. When, because we were just, we recorded an episode for a side project is coming up here very shortly mm. uh, for games in the year 2000. And we were talking about how the name American McGee's Alice may have contributed to the game, probably not being a bigger deal 
And we were like, yeah, that's probably just totally his trademark. And now like you do the research and <laughs> yeah. he was like, why are you doing this? Like, no, that's bad. This makes me sound like a pretentious asshole. Yeah, because uh, I remember looking, seeing it and being interested. But, you know, my first question is like, who's and of course, for the longest time, I didn't even know that was someone's name. <laughs> yeah, same, same. Yeah, I was just like, is this some kind of it's like a version of Alice that I don't like instead of Lewis Carroll, it's like it's the patriotic um, version. Right. Like I did, I could not wrap my head around what it meant. And obviously like McGee's was like a was was the name was a name. So I was like, is there like a British McGee? Like it was so it was so confusing <laughs> to me when I would first see this game. Especially because like with branding back then, because you had a lot of uh, Todd McFarland was big back then and they would slap his name on shit. Yeah. All the time. So I was thinking to myself as American McGee, is he like a comic book artist or is he like a is he like a Neil Gaiman is like some sort of, you know, uh, you know, well-respected, you know, graphic novelist or, or something like that. It, like, who who is he? I, I don't know. Like, I don't pay attention to this stuff. Yeah. I mean, even the fact that he was, you know, a major part of id software, like most people outside of largely PC gaming circles would not know that so right. that that was not the selling point either right it'd be like you know tom howard skyrim i don't think anyone would buy it if it was called that you know of course they would aren't they well, releasing it they again would. for like the 20th time yeah and they're adding fishing i am oh not great shame to say i am buying it again of course of course 100th release edition the game that keeps gigging i just want to live in a world where i can play skyrim on my fridge you can play Doom on your fridge. That's true. Or one step closer. Maybe they thought it'd be a little too, a little too much. We'll go with Doom this time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Like the naming thing was weird, and and actually, I didn't know that about EA being sort of the impetus behind that that title choice either. I have always assumed that it was just like an ego thing on McGee's part. So it's actually kind of nice to know in a way that. That was not his call. I mean, it sucks for him, but, you know, at least he's not quite as egocentric as I thought. I do find it funny that the next two or three games he made were uh, started out with the title of American McGee Presents, though. So, yeah, that's uh, true. That's true. Right. So I hate this, but you like, secretly love it. Yeah. He's it's like, like, actually, that you know what? Maybe that worked out all right. You know, it's fine. It's really great. Everyone knows it sold really well. It must have been me. <laughs> <laughs> they liked my version. They came for me, not Alice. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, to be fair, I'm fairly certain anything outside of this that he did was not fantastic. If I remember correctly, <laughs> uh, I'd have to look. I'd have to take another look. I didn't see much that I really was impressed by. Didn't he do what was that? Jericho? I think it was Jericho. Maybe. I still yeah, don't know who this it. dude is. Yeah, I, I did my best, but basically read the yeah. Wikipedia and just I'm like, OK, all right. That's oh, that. nope, nope. That yeah. wasn't him. Actually, that that was Clive Barker, who we may or may not be talking about at some point soon. Anyway, yeah. uh, moving on. So, I mean, we've kind of already dipped our toe into the personal experiences anyway. So yeah. let's just roll right into it. Uh, Lindsay, mm. I'm about you. You kick us off. What was it? You, did you have run into this game whatsoever back in 2000? No, 
2001. Not oh. not at all. Like I feel like I, I've I've seen the cover, but when I'm looking at it, I feel like maybe I saw this the sequels cover because that one was actually released on consoles. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But I I can't tell you that I had much of a any type of opinion prior to this other than oh I've heard of that game yeah yeah that's familiar but like nothing at all about it and I feel like I kind of roped it into the uh, Johnny Depp versions of the Alice movies that uh, came out of, uh, which, of which I did not see <laughs> because I just wasn't really my thing. That's a little, so I kind of well, like, that was all bad, like the same so. category. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> so, uh, just sort of like, it was like this thing. It wasn't really my thing. And I didn't, I, I was not very familiar at all with like PC exclusives when that game came out. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I just, I kind of remember the advertisements that, that were out there because there was a lot of advertisements for the game. And like me, I was I was a really cringy teenager. So like here I am, you know, a 15 year old me and uh, I, I was dabbling in like witchcraft and I, I, I like the occult and I was wearing like pentagrams and had my hair long and wore a lot of black. And Dude. I looked at this game and I was like, yeah, this is a little much. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, I'm not totally impressed. And it came back to like the whole entire American McGee thing and. Oh, yeah, it's Alice, but she has like this bloody knife. And yeah, that's cool. No. And so I just passed it up. I I don't even think I really had a PC that could play it anyway. And I think that was probably another contributing factor. Just PC games weren't on my radar. So I didn't even touch this game until it came time to play it for this episode, which I think leads into Shane, who probably actually played it when it was relevant. Uh, yes, I, I did. So I'm not a hundred percent sure, uh, on when I got the game, but I'm, I'm fairly certain it was pretty close to actual release. I still actually have the original discs. That's, that's how I played it for this episode. Of course, like no computer has a disc drive anymore, but I fortunately have a USB disc drive that I plugged into my machine so I could install this thing. But yeah, man. So uh, it turns out, by the way, that uh, I, I was also a cringy teenager. Go figure. And <laughs> I uh, this was around the time. So let's see. 2000 would have been right around the time I was moving from middle school to high school, which would have also put me squarely in uh, the new metal phase of my life. So I uh, had, you know, black long sleeve corn shirts and like gelled spiky hair and you know like spiky bracelets and shit or whatever and jinko jeans so i was clearly the coolest kid on the block you were you were one step closer to the edge oh for sure to break yeah and uh however unlike chris i saw this game and i was like fuck yeah i was like (laughs) "This this is right up my alley so, uh, so no, I actually, I played this f- several times growing up and it was actually something that kind of became a favorite of both my brother and I for, for quite some time. And a lot of that had to do just with the art direction. We just really kind of fell in love with what they did with that and how creative they were, um, which we'll get into in a little bit, but yeah, man, I, I am a hundred percent not going to be objective through the rest of this episode. And I will probably be the only one defending a lot of the things that <laughs> this game <laughs> did or didn't do. But yeah, I, I've got 
I I have a special place for 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 Alice. Uh, yeah, I think you're going to be doing a lot of defending, but no, not on not on the next part, which I it's the story, you know. Uh, as I just do a hard segue into there. Yeah, go for it. The, the the plot and the writing for this, the story, the narrative. I actually think it's it's really underserved. It's one of those games you certainly have to get into the manual in order to fully appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And of course, you have to have some knowledge and respect for the the source material that you know uh, uh, the game's working with. Obviously, Lewis Carroll's books. That being said, it's it's a bit confusing because the the game presents itself through its through its own narrative that it's a sequel. It, it makes it seem like Alice came back to Wonderland after the events of Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. Like this is a completely new story, but at the same time, it, it feels like none of the consequences of what happened in those stories happened in Wonderland uh, since her last visit. So it's is it a sequel? Is it a you know what's going on here? And the best way I can equate it, and I have no idea what American McGee was was actually trying to do. In terms of the storytelling, like I, I know what he was kind of trying to do. He was trying to make his own story that wasn't necessarily in line with Alice in Wonderland. He's just trying to make a super dark Alice in Wonderland mm-hmm. through his writing. It's like a sequel. So th- the way I equate it is so Alice is she goes back to Wonderland because her, her parents die in a fire and she's in an insane asylum. So when she dreams to get herself through this traumatic experience, she's in Wonderland. So it's just like if you have a dream and it's a really good dream, you're going to want to go back and have that dream again. But then if you go back to that dream, you can restart your dream over. And it's like the same experience that you had before, but you, you kind of know everything that's going on with it. And that's the best way I, I can equate it. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. What I just said. But that's how I try to internalize it and conceptualize it to make sense, because there's a lot of good stuff here. It's just very confusing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I get what you're saying. I think if I had to have my take on it and for the record, you're right. It's not communicated super well about how this kind of fits in or, or doesn't fit in to the established novels. But if I had to guess based on what was presented, I think what American McGee was trying to go for here was it, it was and basically an like almost an alternate universe take on the events of the first novel in that she's the reason that none of the things that occurred uh, in those two books seem to be like present or kind of pseudo are present or what have you in this is because it's kind of like she's midway through experiencing wonderland and part she part of the reason that her parents died was because she was way too involved in her little fairyland to be cognizant enough to like go and warn her parents upstairs that a fire was occurring because she was the first in the house to to know or she would have known if she had been like mentally present but she wasn't because she was too busy daydreaming in wonderland and so that's where the guilt comes from and that's why she ends up in the psych ward because she feels and perhaps rightly so responsible for you know her family perishing in a house fire because she was too busy daydreaming so i think that's kind of where it fits in it's like it it's kind of midway through the wonderland story and then it kind of takes a hard left 
and then Wonderland kind of becomes a completely different place. Yeah. Psych Ward is a very generous take for a Victorian era asylum. I mean, <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> the Psych Ward. Oh, yes. Politically correct nowadays. I mean, I interpret it, you know, as as expected, that, like it was a fan fiction is how I sort of uh, <laughs> uh, made it in my head. It's like she is really into the story. Obviously, she uh, fantasizes about it and she falls asleep even reading it like every night. And then when she's in her comatose, like totally zapped from reality state. And, you know, she found comfort in the in the story before. So she'll just do that again. But now everything's like all messed up because of what had happened to her. And I kind of felt like she was sort of making it that way. And obviously it's like, you know, subconscious she is doing that. But also like, and I always read things as she's sort of pissed off of how wonderful the Wonderland was that she remembered when like in real life, things aren't like this. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be a little bit more angry. Like we should be angrier at the queen and these people trying to, you know, control you and, and all this stuff. Like it just seemed like she, she was blaming the story on her instead of sort of taking responsibility and then like sort of, you know, working her own conscience through it as well. Well, if if, if you did you did you make it find uh were you able to make it to the end, first of all, Lindsay? Just you don't have to. I understand if you didn't. And we're going to talk about why you wouldn't be able to here in a minute. It's not your fault. <laughs> I, wow. I didn't. I did not. But I did read ahead. OK, so spoilers. Um, The Red Queen is Alice. Oh, so oh. what you had going on. Oh, yes. So uh, the Red Queen is is Alice's manifestation of the guilt that she carries uh, for her parents' death. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the entire world is ruled by the Red Queen. So this is Alice herself. And this is like, I kind of equate it almost to a lot of these worlds and all these situations. If you read the manual and the doctor's notes about what's going on with Alice, what she's saying, how she's progressing, what the, what the, um, the nurse is doing and how it's impacting how her behavior there's a lot of Silent Hill 2 things going on. And I say Silent Hill 2 because that's the best way I can really equate it. Because Silent Hill 2 had not come out at this point. It was, uh, what, a year later, a year or two later, Shane? I don't yeah, know something exactly like when that, it yeah. came out. But there was still, it, Silent, 2, Hill, Silent Hill 2 wasn't a thing yet. So that was really cool to see that there is these manifestations through the way, like kind of the enemy behavior where the enemies were at, how you could interpret that into what was going on in her, in her outside life, outside the dream world. Um, the fact that the red queen did rule over it and she had to defeat and overcome her own guilt before she was able to be released from the asylum and become normal again. There's a lot of, um, symbolism. There's a lot of, uh, you know, parallels to that. And I do think that's really cool. I don't think the game does a really good job of spelling that out within the gameplay itself. That is all hidden within the manual. Uh, that is all hidden within backstory that you have to kind of seek out on your own nowadays. But that little aspect of it, if you're willing to take the time and to look into it, it makes the game much more appealing from a uh, plot and narrative based you know, uh, approach. Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. And and actually, I was I saw it in our notes and I, I really appreciate that you brought up that point because I hadn't even thought about that. But 
the Silent Hill 2 comparison is is actually an excellent one. Though being the the fan of this game out of the three of us, I will be the first to readily admit that this is not nearly as a mature or well-executed take on that whole the environment is a manifestation of the main character's guilt thing than Silent Hill 2. Silent Hill 2 handled that in a much better fashion. Oh, no argument. Like bar none. But to your point, the fact that this kind of tackled the same thing before Silent Hill 2 came out, I think is impressive. And it's part of the reason that I do actually appreciate this game and can <laughs> can overlook some of its other flaws, because though it is edgy for sure, I, I think that whole take of, you know, well, what would happen if. You know, let's if we're assuming that Wonderland is this manifestation of Alice's inner thoughts and her psyche. So what would happen if, you know, she did experience some sort of real life severe trauma, like arguably Wonderland would reflect that in some fashion. And that's kind of what happens here. And in a way, it is unfortunate that yet again, we have to make this commentary, right, that uh, a lot of critical plot elements that really flesh things out are found in the manual, which at the time was not a big deal because if you purchased this game, you weren't buying it on Steam or Origin or something like that. You were buying a box on a shelf and you got the instruction booklet with it. So that wasn't an issue. Going back to those things now is a completely different story where, you know, like we said, we've said this time and again now where several older games, you have so little understanding of what the creator's true intentions were if you don't have that supplemental material. And this is another one of those cases, I think. It's such a weird release choice, I thought, because there's a lot of games that are uh, released digitally that weren't had the history of being so. And they have a digital version of the manual. Like Nintendo's mm-hmm. really good with this. They have like digital manuals for for like almost all their games. And I just thought, oh, oh, I'll uh I'll see if the manual's on my console and it, you know, wasn't I to still look it up. I also thought it was really strange that downloading the sequel and then it would give you, okay, here, now go here and download the first game. And then you have to open the second game to get into the first game. Cause that's, that's how it is on the Xbox mm-hmm. way of downloading. It was just like a really, everything about getting the game and like learning about it was strangely weird. And I feel like because it was so successful and it's time that it, acted like it wasn't like it begrudgingly became available to people and they're like but it wasn't it a good game like why are you doing this yeah i fully blame ea for that honestly i'm fairly certain it has to be a rights issue of some kind that's that's holding that up because like on social media and stuff for years people have been messaging american mcgee about this being like hey why the hell don't we have an easy way to play alice like i will give you money to play Alice, where can I get it? And they're just like, yeah, man, it's nowhere. It's nowhere. Like, unless you buy the sequel and go through those hoops you just mentioned, or you happen to own a physical copy for PC, um, or you want to go find some abandoned ware sites because the ISOs are also available out there on the internet. (laughs) That's like the only way to play it, which is really sad because you know what? It's got some flaws that we're about to talk about, but it's a super bummer that there's like no good way to experience this game. Yeah. Oh, I was going to mention that earlier when you get 
people outside the industry doing music and doing voice acting and stuff like that gets to be like annoying to trying to bring it back for people who really liked mm-hmm. it. You know, you get like Nobu Mat- Amatsu does all the Square Enix music or whatever. And then you get freaking um, Kota Kumi to do the songs for 10-2. And now, you know, how are they going to remake 10-2 and also pay Kota Kumi? Are you going to still do that? No, <laughs> probably not. So hold on to your copies of 10-2. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm surprised like... Tony Hawk must have been a licensing nightmare. <laughs> yeah, they tweeted about oh, sure. it. They were tweeting like we almost got everybody. And then, you know, they had to put on new music and stuff. That's yeah, those those games. Absolute nightmare. So Alice is like, so do we still play Marilyn Manson or should we, you know, do redo it in like a MIDI format? Oh, God. <laughs> It'd be like Doom. Does Marilyn Manson do Doom? No. No, it's just they they blatantly ripped off like major songs. Oh, oh, absolutely. Or like Sims. You just do this Sims. Yeah. I mean, there there are there are riffs from straight from like Metallica songs in, the, in those. Yeah. Yeah. The Sims versions of those songs are like my favorite versions sometimes. <laughs> uh, all right. So I'm not even going to use a segue. So we're just going to start talking about the gameplay because I think that's a huge chunk of this and yes. I, i'm gonna let chris do his thing here because he's got a lot to say about it and i will interject where i feel it's appropriate but i actually think he makes a lot of good objective points so i'm, I'm gonna let you take that one away and i'm, I'm pretty sure Lindsay is going to agree with me on a lot of these as well mm-hmm. so uh we can we can tag team this Lindsay. it's going to be pretty brutal i'm just going to be way up front about this i'm sorry shane that uh, we're about to tear this game to shreds, relatively speaking. No, no, it's fine. Go for <laughs> it. All right. So, um, look. <laughs> Listen. <sighs> yeah. I don't. What, what is this game trying to be? It's like, is it is it a platformer? Is it an action game? Because I I don't see it doing either very well, but it wants you to do a lot of both. It doesn't have an identity. It's just. It doesn't really ever come together coherently for me in a, in a gameplay form. And sometimes they try to put puzzles in there, but the puzzles are just like so basic and rudimentary or they're super obtuse that I wouldn't even call them a puzzle. It's just like a thing like I, I guess for like the obtuseness would be the the level where you're in the mirrors, which in and of itself isn't like a bad level, but you can't advance unless you know you have to throw a knife at a clock and it doesn't indicate that whatsoever like that's not a puzzle that's just being a pain in the ass <laughs> and so it doesn't know what it really wants to be about the whole like platformer or whatever like i was talking with josh it was like they designed alice the character to do all these things like here are here's your x and y axis and here are your 3d inputs okay now we're gonna build the game like and they never changed what alice could do it just alice is totally not synced with how the game is built the way she moves and walks around and jumps and does all this stuff because she's like built for sort of anything, but there's never an anything moment. It's always like, okay, this is what you need to do now. Here's Alice that we made figure it out. But this is what you have to do. It was like it was kind of weird that she was very like it, it was like she was in a wholly different game the way she was designed, which I don't know if that has something to do with the engine they basically built built the whole thing around or I oh, I, I think it 100% yeah. does it plays yeah, like I Wake. was I was just like going Wake. to say I I 
if I ha- if I was a betting man, I would say it absolutely does because it is at its heart a Quake 3 engine. Actually, fun fact, if the game crashes or doesn't work or something on PC, it gives you a Quake 3 error. So that's fun. But yeah, so no, it's absolutely that. And the fact that like, who are we talking about? It's American McGee, right? Where did he come from? Id Software. What the fuck did they do? First person shooters. Alice controls like a first person shooter. It it 100% does. Yeah. For worse. But arguably worse because it's third person. Right. Yeah. And she doesn't. And but nothing else in the game acts like they're in a third. They're in a shooting game. Right. You know, she does. Right. You know, she's strafing around and you can jump all you know, whatever. But and then everyone else is like, no, no, you have to hit me like this. You see? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so starting starting with the platforming and it again, put this all in the mental framework of this is like an FPS. So, you know, I'm assuming on the PC, it's WASD is how you control yes. Alice, because there's like no momentum control for her. You go from zero to 60 in no time flat. So when the game wants you to jump, when the game wants you to do platforming and it wants you to do platforming a lot, it will ask you to land on tiny platforms from time to time. The momentum feels way off. So like I would jump, I would try to go from one platform to the other. I was afraid I I was afraid I wasn't going to have enough behind it or I'd have too much. So as soon as I jumped most of the time, I'd be like, I'd be pressing forward on the analog stick to jump. And then as soon as I jumped, I'd be pulling back hoping that I didn't jump too much. Like it was a prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Every single time I jumped, it was a prayer being like, please don't die. I saved before this jump though. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. The jumps (laughs) and bless American's heart. Cause he's got these little every so often. And it's not all the time. It's just random. Every so often you can look on the ground and you can see that the indicator crosshairs, if if you were, uh, they've changed to little feet print. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. If you can change it to feet print and you press A, you'll you'll jump as very clean and the way they uh, you will kind of want you to. But that that isn't all the time and especially isn't when they actually want you to jump on platforms like, no, no. Now you try, you know, at this point we've you know, but every other point in the game, if you look down like, oh, I can jump. Sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not. But it's the same thing. I was telling Josh for like if there's a moment where I have to jump down or sort of jump forward as opposed to up i'll just try to fall into it instead like go a little higher than the platform is and then just make her run off the cliff or like run into it and hopefully she'll she'll kind of skip into it as opposed to using the jump button because this is it'll it's (laughs) probably be better this way just kind of just kind of fall on it just they'll be fine we'll work it out very very floaty very well i'm actually very very yeah and i'm glad that you brought up the indicator thing because that was something i was going to ask the both of you if that little spinning foot jump indicator was available on the console version or not but apparently it was and it's interesting because you're absolutely right Lindsay, in that it shows up like half the time or it's it's super inconsistent right of like when that actually does or does not show up and it's almost like an admission on the developer's part of that, like, yeah. listen, Whoops. we know the jumping sucks ass. So if you can point this little <laughs> reticle at the ground, just press jump and it'll automatically put Alice there because sorry, I guess. Sorry like, about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I assumed is what this was like. We understand. Here you go. Except this part. 
No, you have to do it yourself. Yeah, and the other weird <laughs> thing is what makes the jumping even worse, honestly, is the the animation. Because she has this like ramp up where she'll like crouch down and then swing her arms in the air to jump up. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. like, okay, could I guess you could make an argument that it's a little bit more realistic in that someone would try to do that if they were making a long jump. But like in practice, what happens is you press jump and then you actually jump like a second or a fraction of a second later which makes judging things like getting momentum to Chris's point and then properly hitting the jump at the right time really difficult to pull off correctly. Yeah. Especially for the final boss. Oh my boss. God. Why did they make that entire fight just platforms? Ugh. It's not even the hardest boss fight. No, either. it's not. But oh my God, is it so... Oh. So the final boss fight, just to explain what we're, what we're talking about here... It's, it's like Shane said, you're hopping from platform to platform to platform and you have to keep moving. You can't stop moving or else you die. That's essentially all it is, uh-huh. is you have to jump to one platform, to the other platform, to the other platform. And you know what? If you miss a jump, you got to start back over. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that compounds this problem, too, is the once you land, because we've been talking about trying to jump and take off. But when you land. It's also so stiff that like you can't especially this was especially evident on the last boss because you have to constantly be moving or you're going to get shot in the face. So like once you jump and you land, the assumption would be that you could continue running and move forward and just immediately hit jump again to like basically bunny hop your way across. Right. No, that doesn't work at all because she'll land and then stop. And then if you try to move forward the run animation will kick in and you won't be able to hit jump fast enough and you will just run right off a cliff and die. Or the ice level. Uh, well, ice physics sucks no matter what game you're playing. I don't care what it is. Yeah. It's really bad here. It's so bad here. Yeah. So, no, I, listen, I don't disagree with either one of you. The controls are not good. The only thing that I can say in its defense is that it is and was a PC game first and foremost. What you guys were playing was not great console ports, and these control issues really show that. Did they just ignore Tomb Raider? I guess. I don't know. I mean, listen, this is American McGee's first outing on his own with having nothing but FPS experience. Like, I guess this is what you're going to get, right? (sighs) I'm not saying that the controls are great on PC, but... It's a lot more manageable than trying. I I could not imagine using a controller to play this game. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the whole targeting system, too, because it like the reticle is obviously made Ooh. for a mouse. Yes. And as I'm playing it, it's not only pretty much useless, but it's also <laughs> kind of like yeah. in the way almost for. You know, I yeah. move it so the reticle moves and then the, no, wait, wait, come back. I'm moving her. I don't need the reticle to move. Oh, you're just. We're just all you do it at once. So that's fine. And I was going to ask that if that was, you know, obviously a mouse thing and if that that works a lot better. Oh, it 100 percent is. And yes, it does. Actually, it's it's funny because Chris and I were talking about this in the discord while he was playing it in preparation for this episode. And he's just like all caps yelling at me about how he hates the flying <laughs> enemies in this game because he can't fucking hit them at all. Yes. And I was just like, dude, just use the playing cards. They're they're like homing missiles. And he's like, I can't fucking aim at him. And I'm like, well, that's because you're not using a mouse, dude. Like 
it was those were not an issue for me at all. Just use a mouse. Well, noob. they weren't an yeah. issue on PC because that's what it was built for. You just aim your mouse and follow them as they're flying and your cards will just home in on them. And it's they're actually not that big of a deal. But knowing that you guys are trying to do sure. that with an analog stick again, I cannot imagine playing it that way. <laughs> I was telling Chris, instead of using the cards, I would try to like try to outwit the AI and get them to a place where they couldn't fly so high. And then I would just wail on them with a club or a or or a knife or something mm. instead of because the cards would go after it, but it it wouldn't make it or they would hit twice and then go off somewhere. Else. Like it was just it was not working. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of haphazardly aiming because I know they were homing, but you at least have to have the reticle on them or something. Or Yeah, just, you almost need to be yeah. leading them in order for it to to work well. Yeah. Well, the other the other part is, too, is if you're not hitting them, cards take yes. energy. Yeah. And if you run out of energy, you can't use your cards. Or much of anything. Anything. The only thing you can do is your melee, which is what? The knife and the croquet yep. bat? Like, that's it. Those are your only options. And guess what's awesome about melee in this game? Nothing. Is that it's, it's, it sucks. Nothing. That's, yeah, it's <laughs> awful. It was. Oh, God. Go ahead, Lindsay. I was saying it was like. You know, the melee was I think the first part, it wasn't it wasn't satisfying. Like I'm stabbing people with a knife, but not they're not doing anything. And at first I thought I wasn't hitting them or I wasn't using the knife. Right. And then they would die. Exactly. And I was like, oh, I I guess I hit them. And then like some of the some of the enemies would like chop in half, you know, so obviously. Oh, OK. And then some enemies, if you hit them like three times in a row, they would grunt or move or something. But otherwise. It was like, gee, I hope I'm hitting it. Yeah, the combat feedback is terrible in the game. At least with the cards, you can see them being hit and they'll spray like a little couple droplets of blood. Not that they actually react to it, but at least I'm far enough away. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I'm meleeing, like I, I can't see what I'm doing at all. The part where the melee just rears its ugly head for anyone who ever plays this game. The part where you realize the melee is completely and totally fucking worthless, but you'll have to use it anyway because fuck you is when you get to the second, like the second major level, I would call it the second level, where it's a you have to ride on leaves in a stream. And first of all, fuck the that level in level general. In the game. But oh my God. it is so bad. You get to a part you have to fight these ants. So you're running out of cards because every single time an enemy dies, it gives you a health and energy replenishment. And they're not giving you enough that you can continue to throw cards at every single ant that comes your way because Cards don't do shit for damage and you don't have the better weapons that are available to you yet in the game. So you have to run up to these fucking things and use your croquet bat. The thing is, as soon as you run up to them, if you if you keep on trying to hit them, they'll throw you all over well, because, them. Well, not only that, right. but they've they have fucking bayonets. They're like Civil War ants and <laughs> they've got yeah. bayonets right. and they'll they'll <laughs> snipe you from afar. And then yeah. as you're running in to try to hit them, once you get in melee range, they will bayonet your ass and like launch you across the map. Yeah. And if you get their HP low enough, they'll just start running away and they're way faster than you. So you're like, yeah. come back here, come back. Wait, my swing animation missed you. So I'm going to need to, you to come back. <laughs> yeah. The chasing after them was like brutal. Yeah. That, that whole level, that's the worst level in the game for me. Like I, I hate everything about that level. And the only redeeming factor is that I, I actually really liked the set piece of like the big Alice statue that was like the tears were creating the river thing that that was kind of cool Vis visually, cool. but like 
everything else about that level sucks ass. Like the fact that you have to land on these small leaves when we know that the platforming is garbage uh, and then ride those down the river while also being aerial bombed by bugs and getting shot at by those ants. Yeah, it's terrible. Plus, you have to swim. Yeah, eventually. But like, if you fall into the river before that part, you know, you can't jump out of the water. And this is another thing they put in the game. I feel like because they're like, whoops, here, have the they put like these little alcove moments within the river. So as you're going down the river, you'll see like these little plat, little tiny platformers off to the side. Mm-hmm. But that I decided was because if you fall in the water, you're kind of screwed. There's nothing you could do. So they put those there so that maybe you can beat the RNG that enables her to grab a ledge <laughs> and, and she'll get on the ledge of those because I, I was able to save myself before being eaten by piranhas a couple times with that ledge because I don't know if you guys noticed this. I'm sure you did. But when you're on those little leaves going down the river, the leaf doesn't register that it has a character on it and your game doesn't register that your character is floating on a leaf. So once you turn a corner yeah. or it changes camera angle, your character will move off the leaf. Yep. So you have to keep yep. making sure you're on the leaf because nobody's communicating with anybody <laughs> in this moment. Yeah, <laughs> it sure has no problem with that minotaur turtle right? staying on he's that like, leaf. But you he's like, excuse me, that, that girl, shot of problem? him, by the way, going over the waterfall is beautiful because it's just like a <laughs> stiff, like character model yeah. of him. And he just goes over like a log. It's great. And juxtaposed to my moment when I fell over the in the cutscene, where like. I was off the leaf. So it looks like the cutscene I was supposed to be falling, but I was already I was just in the river at that point. Like I wasn't even riding the leaf anymore as I'd gotten tired of it. And so it just showed me like just stiff falling down a river and there's like no leaf. I'm just like, ah, and I'm like, I feel like I messed up the cutscene because I wasn't riding the leaf. <laughs> you know what? I was so frustrated that level. I didn't even notice there was an Alice statue that was crying. I was so angry. It's before I you get frustrated. Just- but no, no, it is. I was already <laughs> frustrated by that point. By I was the, just like, I don't. I was already angry from the first level. From the boulder. Oh, because you have to climb up the 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 cliff by jumping and avoiding the boulder. I like the the warning it gives you, like, hey, we're gonna drop boulders. So I waited. Yeah. And no, no, it was just in the cutscene. Oh, okay. So then I went, and then there's another cutscene of a drop boulder, and I was like, do I need to wait for this? Oh, I guess so because I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was I don't it's it was like the very beginning of the level. And that was another part where, okay, I died. Am I gonna start at the beginning or am I did I actually not die and I'm just gonna start off at the last platform? Oh, the beginning. Okay, well that's always well that's another good point too, because well I think Chris, you'll you'll probably touch on this because this is something you brought up in the notes too. So go ahead. Are, are we talking about the RNG to grab onto it? Well that and the <laughs> if I fall into this pit of death, does that mean I actually die or does oh. that mean I just pop back up with the like top <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, there's, it doesn't make sense because in the very the very first level where they have the puzzle pieces you have to jump from puzzle piece to yeah. puzzle piece if you fall into the abyss if you fall into the void it just puts you back at the beginning yeah it doesn't like load a save point it doesn't say you died so right there automatically the assumption is oh okay if i fall off a cliff into the into the mario void of platformers the game is just going to put me back at the beginning of the the sequence but it it's not always consistent. Sometimes it'll be like, ha ha, load up your last save point, scrub. And be like, wait, what? Yeah, I think the one that got me real frustrated was at the first one that I realized that it was just jerking my chain was it's the water level again. And you're going down the river and then the, suddenly there's a drop off 
and you're supposed to jump and grab onto a vine. Oh yeah, yep. Right, and that was fuck those vines. And that fuck was fuck those vines. That was the moment I realized you die, and then you go back to you have to load a save point. I was like, wait a but wait a minute, but before, but but before, you know. <laughs> so uh, that was the one <laughs> I had it saved like right before that the vine jump. But I had already hated vines from the the precious moments it showed me vines in the beginning of which I tried using and failed and just didn't use them and just walked through poisonous gas. I think it was instead of using the vines. <laughs> also in that vine moment, instead of jumping on the vine, I just ended up jumping to the left onto the cliff. So just bypassing the whole sequence. Cause I, it took me 10 time, 10 or seven to 10 times trying to jump onto the grab the vine. And I decided that I'm already jumping 10 stories in the air. I could probably just jump on the cliff. It wants me to go to anyway. And lo and behold, it is successful. You know, what's so funny is I anyone. didn't even know that there was a vine for that jump because I did just what you did and just jumped directly to the cliff. <laughs> I don't believe you. The vine is like a mute green in front of a mute gray. Yeah. So <laughs> there's there was that whole yeah. sequence is yeah, a little bit of a cheap uh, shot, though, because like you don't see it coming and then you have like a split second to react and you fall into spiky rocks of death like that. It was poorly executed. It was a total surprise, a total like. Is that a vine? Oh, I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. One of the worst, most irritating parts from all these platforming sequences, though, while we're still talking platforming, is the point to where you get to the lava and you're trying to jump from platform to platform, meticulously plan out your jumping, look what's ahead of you, plan out everything. And there, these fucking lava uh. fish <laughs> decide that they're just going to stick their tongue out and pull you into the lava, which is instant death. That... Or they light you on fire, which takes away half your health and causes Alice to, like, raise her hands and scream. <laughs> and it's like, what do I do? <laughs> this game hates me. It's, it's like one of those, we're not preparing you for this moment. It's just going to happen. <laughs> you know, like, you, you go to any other game and they sort of like, well, here's a watering can. Or uh, here's, you know, well, you know, you'll you'll do better if you go out of your way to go get the firefighter gear or something, you know, like, no, no, no. Alice is a brave girl. She's a strong girl. She can beat up lava fish. Go, so go for it. I could I could never kill a lava fish. You can't kill them. They're yeah, in I the lava. I couldn't kill the river fish either. And you could go in the river. So that's you know. true. <laughs> Although, you know what, Lindsay, actually, you bring up a really good point that I hadn't thought about before. And I think it's. It's something that is really underrated, and if it's done well, you almost don't even know that it's there. But if it's not done well, it really hurts. And that is, you know, sort of telegraphing game mechanics in in the gameplay itself before it becomes critical for the player to know what to do. And Nintendo is one of those that does this exceedingly well with all of their platformers and most of their games where they will take that show don't tell approach of I'm going to show you an example of a mechanic just because you know that that's going to be coming up later. And so you as a player are prepared for that. This game does not do that ever. It just throws you no. directly yeah. into it. And it's like, well, you've got save files. So fucking reload asshole. And like, that's, that's right, all they're yeah. going to do. So that's actually a really good point. Um, I had never thought about that. And I think, you know, you could make the argument that American McGee coming from where he did, that isn't necessarily something that was prevalent in a lot of those early shooters. You know, they 
it's pretty straightforward, right? It's just like, okay, you has gun, shoot bad things, like done. And you want to know when the game gets fun? Hmm. When you get guns. Well, and I was, and I was leading to that too, but <laughs> he was never, id Software and American McGee never really had to think too much about show don't tell game mechanic sort of thing because it wasn't really that complicated. This was a completely separate thing all on its own. And, you know, kudos to him for trying to take on something different, but it is pretty evident, I think, that there wasn't a lot of experience with this style of game because that sort of, I don't, I'm hesitant to call it handholding because that's kind of reductive, but it is in a way that's not present here. And yes, Chris, you make a good point in that the game's combat actually gets tolerable once you get enough ranged weapons to not ever have to touch a melee weapon again. That, again, just goes back, I think, to not only the game engine's roots, but also the creator's roots. And I basically completed this entire game by using nothing but the ice wand, the jacks, and I th- and the cards. And then, of course, like the Jabberwocky staff, like at the end. But those three main ones were the only things I ever used because the cards are great for sniping enemies, assuming that you can aim at them. Um, the ice wand is great for damn near everything else. That thing is super useful. Uh, and then the jacks fucking destroy bosses and some of the more, you know, like tanky, uh, regular minion enemies. So between those three, you basically have all of your bases covered and you, you should never get in melee range of fucking anything in this game because you will get your ass handed to you. There's no good way to dodge or block or avoid getting hit if you get within swinging distance of something they will hit you so staying at at length is like your your best bet by far the jacks break the game as far as i'm concerned the jacks are so good overpowered but that's the other thing though is like none of the that's part of the issue with the weapon selection though is like there was a lot of creativity that went into a lot of the different weapons. You know, you've got like the demon dice, you've got the the jack in the box thing that like breathes fire and explodes. I actually used that quite a bit. I didn't fucking use any of that at all. And you didn't need to, <laughs> though, is the thing. And it's kind of a bummer because I think the weapons just were not balanced very well for the encounters that you end up having so that once you kind of hone in on what is it that I can use? It's going to be the most effective for the majority of the game. You really don't use anything else. And so a lot of these other, you know, cool looking weapons that were maybe a little bit more flashy or were interesting just weren't mechanically as effective. And so there was a real balance issue there too, I think. Yeah. I got used to throwing the knife instead of using Mm. it as melee, but the, the um, refresh rate on the throwing is uh, not very good, but I think, um, it doesn't use willpower. No. That's what nope. the other bars. So you can keep throwing the knife, which barely does like double damage or it does at least three knife shanks. <laughs> so throwing it and then I say very loosely dodging away and then just until you can throw it again, um, helped me out a lot as long as they were like right in front of me. You know, if I got actually aim the knife because it is unforgiving. Yeah. Then that that seemed to work really well uh, when I could. When I could do it, but I was telling Josh, I was like, when I'm finding, I think it was the Duchess where he could notice. He's like, do you have any like dodge? Or I'm like, no, no, I can, I can strafe, I can jump and I can run, but roll or block is nope. 
they can't do any of that. Like there's, I thought that was the one, one real piece that was, that was missing that might've like helped early game stuff was just, if I could just roll or jump back or something, some kind of dodge or even like a straight, like an actual strafe where I jumped to the side or something would, would have, uh, would have tremendously improved. I think a lot of the inter- early interactions. And I think it was just something maybe overlooked because it just seems silly that there was no dodge yeah. at all. You just run up and then you run back, you well, know, and it actually becomes painfully evident later in the game, even because full disclosure, I just played this on easy. I also recommend that to everyone because this game is difficult enough to interact with. You don't need to make it harder on yourself, but I, I played it on easy and even on easy mode, the, the final fight, with the Jabberwocky before you get to the very last battle um, fucking sucks because he can fly yep. faster than you can run. He will blanket the entire battle arena in fire that you just can't avoid. There's no good way to get away from him. And he like kind of bounces around in the air randomly and you don't know like where to go to get out of his way. And that was the only time in the game that I had to reload a save like several times because I would just die in the fire over and over and over again. <laughs> There's a part a little later than that, too, after the Jabberwocky or Jabberwock, because they don't call it Jabberwocky in this game, because that battle, I didn't find it as difficult as you did just because you just toss the jacks and look for the health replenishment, and just keep running. And I just like you just got luckier. Well, that's the thing, though, is in that last fight, I'm talking about the second time you fight him, though, not the first one. No, I'm talking about it, too. It's it's definitely more difficult. He's always in the air, though. The jacks didn't hit him in the air. Like, I tried using the jacks, and they just would uh, not, like, home in on him at all. Huh. I didn't have that hmm. issue for some reason. I don't know. I'm going to fix it in console. Yeah. Console's there you better. Go. <laughs> no, I don't. Maybe I, don't, maybe I was I don't using a different... take that seriously. <laughs> yeah, because you don't have the Jabberwock staff. Did I have a blunderbuss? I did have the blunderbuss at that point, but I can only fire yeah. it once. So I'm trying to what did, what did I use? I don't know, because I remember hitting them in the air. Maybe I don't know if it was the jacks or not, but the 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 hardest part for me was I had the Jabberwock staff is after the mm-hmm. Jabberwock and it was on the way to the Red Queen where you're crossing these bridges of platforms and you fight against her cards and oh, you get to a platform and they just start coming down from the sky like they just keep respawning and respawning and respawning and like you have like this little area. And they do a ton of damage to you because they fire these missiles at you that do just a that ton explode. of damage. <laughs> yep. And if they get too close to you, your Jabberwock staff will damage you because it has AOE damage and it doesn't. It still will mm-hmm. damage you. So if you back off, you fall into the lava and the their their attacks have not knockback effect. So you can't stand on a platform and fire at them. And you also have to be energy conscious. So you have to get close enough where you can kill them and pick up their energy, but be far enough away from anything that will knock you into the lava. That's where I had a huge, huge problem was near the end of the game with, with the Jabberwock staff. It was just utterly fucking ridiculous. No, I I know exactly what you're talking about. And also, I don't know if they thought it was like a neat design choice or something because unless I, I might've missed it, but I think this is the first time you come across this, which is like literally in the last maybe half hour to 20 minutes of the game, there's a section actually right after what you are talking about where you open up these big ass castle doors and you walk into this room that is multi-tiered and there's like at least 
four to six of those cards just strewn about there waiting for you to walk in and they all just fucking rain a hell down on you. And the way that you're supposed to do that is not stay and fight. There's a, I think it's a frog or something like a poisonous frog or some shit. Grasshopper. Is that what it is? It's a grasshopper. Okay. Well, some fucking creature that is like on one of those platforms that you're (laughs) supposed to jump up and grab it. And it's an interactable item where like it will transform Alice and allow you to like jump crazy high and move super fast. You're supposed to just avoid that entire section, but that's the only way to do it. And you have no idea that that's what the game wants you to do. Like that was super weird to me. And the fact that I didn't, again, I might've missed it somewhere earlier in the game, but I think that was the only time that particular mechanic was present and you hadn't seen it at all up until you're basically at the last part of the game, which is super strange. Yep. That is really strange. Like the transformation sequences before that were strange, but at least they were like right there in front of right. me where she would transform into like a demon or whatever for, for what I've considered no reason at all. Cause I, there's like two or three times I transformed this demon and there's, nothing for me to kill there's nothing where to me to go <laughs> yeah or i don't like i'd already killed the the monsters so like what am i okay i guess i just look pretty cool i guess yeah they were Bad very poorly placed and even then like it's yeah. hard to know what it does like so it, it basically you can do more melee damage so if you if you grab one of those that's like probably the only time you'd want to swap back to like the knife or something because you can one shot most things while you have that power up going But yeah, like they give it to you in such weird places where either to your point, you've already cleared the whole room. So then it's pointless anyway, or they give it to you. And then there's like this long stretch of like empty hallway. So the the power ups already halfway gone by the time you come across an enemy. So it's like, why did I have this? Yeah, it was I think it was the second time I found it and I grabbed it and I was like, okay, I guess I'm the demon thing. And then I immediately went to a cutscene in which the cutscene used up the entire length of time that I was a demon. And so when the cutscene ended, I was normal Alice again. And then all the monsters that wanted me to fight. Oh, and that's the other thing. That's a good point. The other thing I noticed is that the countdown on those limited power ups like that or the invisibility mirror, the countdown starts as soon as you pick up the item and starts running while the animation of you picking up the item and it transforming you is going. So you're already losing time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Like the cutscenes were always like, Things are still happening. It was kind of like MMO type situation or some other type of game where like you're talking to this character, but the game is still playing. So yeah, but there's nothing you could do about it. I'm in a cutscene. It it was it was it was really strange. And that was probably when I first noticed it was when I was a demon in the cutscene. And then later on when I fell off the the leaf mid cutscene <laughs> and fell to I was supposed to fall, but it was definitely not the way he intended. So I I, I had made a mental note of that before. A lot of times would happen too, like you would fight and, oh, I need to heal myself. Oh, wait, there's a cutscene. Oh, no, we're going to a new room. All the health has already disappeared anyway. And I'm starting this level really low. Yeah, <laughs> I think I will say some nice things about this game. I have to say some nice things because we've been just destroying <laughs> this game. It's straightforward. It's pretty self-explanatory. Like, I, I don't think I was ever really lost in this game. You can beat this game without a game without mm-hmm. an FAQ. Yeah, very linear. I, very linear. And I appreciated that. Like the the chess level, I think, is fantastic. I yeah, love that, that was level. really cool. 
Swimming mechanics are pretty good outside of the fact that you'll drown and it doesn't let you know how close you are to drowning. It just you just die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really like the swimming. I thought it was really um like there was some obstacles while you're swimming, but uh, that sort of messed everything up. But if you're just, you know, if you know what to do and you're just swimming around, it was very it's very good. It was until, you know, yeah, you suddenly you suddenly drown. But it, it controls uh, I, I actually, it controls pretty well. But I will say that there were several times where I would get stuck on the level geometry for like no reason while swimming. Yeah. Yeah. Ellis's hitbox is like yeah. a tank. She's like twice her size. So it's it's kind of like uh, what was that? Like shallow hell. It's showing her personality. <laughs> maybe. Wow. I, I don't know. <laughs> How sensitive she is. That's a that's a I feel like that's a deep cut reference. OK, <laughs> I don't. She keeps on getting stuck on things you don't you should not be getting stuck on. You're like, what is, is am I doing something wrong? Yeah, no. But if w- once you get past that, the, the swimming controls are are pretty good. Yeah, I think that's just eliminating yeah. having to paddle is great because you basically just control her with the move stick or uh, the directional. You don't have to like continuously paddle or apparently you have to breathe. But again, you know, that's just. Sway it is give and take. Yeah, and I found that, okay, and we're going back, uh, and, and you know, shitting on this game again. But it is what it is. Great, the swimming was good anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I also to the swimming thing too, and this kind of segues way. The, the game itself looks. I wouldn't say it looks good, but it, lo- it it it's creative, and I definitely see what they were going for. And you know, it, it's no real. You can't really shit on it for being a. A game from the 2000s because you could see what they really wanted to accomplish with the background with the character designs with the with the toy slash weapon designs mm-hmm. the ui looks really it's really sleek you know it does it's I not agree. in your yeah. way it's it but you have all the information you need at all times uh, i think everything like that visually very very creative and 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 also like there's not much of a a redo like they didn't um recycle a lot of mechanics like there was a little too much brand new mechanics even at the end of the game like the entire game you've got well well, wait i've never done this before but i think there's something something said to be said about uh a a game that is always doing something new but kind of wants you to use what they've already taught you to figure out this new mechanic and was just constantly doing that like you didn't have to do a lot of the puzzles or anything over and over again, like one and done. And there'll be a new or in a different atmosphere type going on. Uh, I thought that was, that was, that's a really neat thing. I think uh, a lot of games, especially AAA games kind of fail to utilize. Now they just sort of recycle what you've already done over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I'll agree. Like as long as we're here in the graphics, let's just swap over to graphics. I think we've, we've made our uh, problems with the gameplay known well enough. (laughs) It's it's there. It's well in the books. So, yeah, graphically, I agree 100 percent with Lindsay. I'm not going to try and put much more on here just because we're kind of getting long in the tooth with the episode anyway. But yeah, very creative for a game in 2000. I wouldn't even say it's one of the best looking games of 2000. I mean, it's not at the low end, certainly. It's certainly at the higher end of looking games for that year. But I think other games, especially like on the Dreamcast, were doing a much, much better job. But creatively, it's it's among the best. As Lindsay said, HUD is slick. Nothing gets in your way. Everything's explained. No, no real issues with the graphics for me. Hasn't aged really well, but a lot of things from that time period haven't. Yeah, I want to say maybe the if the game version I was playing was like an HD remaster or something like that, it probably shouldn't have had that type of remaster. 
Right. But it looks, I mean, it looks like a N64 game. And by then, even N64 games were like, this looks like an N64 yeah. game. <laughs> so even it was like, what, two or three years ago? Because it didn't look like I would have played this on PC, but and also just because I feel like they were stretching it to make it so creative. And I, th- I think they did a, you know an OK job. I think you'll look at it and be like, yeah, you could definitely tell what is around you. There was no question of like, wait, what what in the world is that? Except like sometimes like spikes. I didn't realize that they were spikes. Otherwise, like everything just looked really good. Everything like colors and everything, you know, you didn't see like a, you know, the leaves weren't green. You know, here's the green outline. It was like textured and it was, you know, some parts were dying and it, it just like they spent a lot of time and used what they had. Maybe it wasn't a big budget they had on graphics, but uh, I can appreciate what I'm looking yeah. at. I, before we go to Shane, I will say this is probably makes it worse for me and you, Lindsay, is that we had to boot up Madness Returns first <laughs> and the character model for Alice <laughs> No, hear me no, out. Yeah, like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, char- ooh, yeah, that looks. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. The character model for Alice and and Madness Returns is still really good looking, because yeah. I, I was playing this on a Series X, and me too. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic looking model, Unreal Engine, whatever it was, great. And then you like load up the original. It's just like, oh. Time yeah. certainly passed. Right. Yeah. Oh, now we're playing. Yeah, it's like from like, a, I don't know, Jessica Rabbit to Coraline. It was sort of a big <laughs> juxtaposition. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Especially because you had to load it like, oh, no, no, wait, this isn't the game. I got to load the. Oh, no. <laughs> well, having said all of that, uh, this, this the presentation of the game is probably the biggest reason that I love the game as much as I do. It was very clearly a labor of love. It was not something that I think had a huge budget necessarily. I think to Lindsay's point, they really did a lot with what they had available to them. The level of creativity and attention to detail that went into all of the character models, all of the different environments, it's, it is fantastic. And every area feels unique. It has its own personality. They stand apart from one another. Um, and it's it's going to be a weird thing for me to point out, but I'm going to go into a little bit of like, I guess, gamer nerdism here for a second in that I actually want to point out the skyboxes of all things in this game. Mm. It's not something that a lot of people tend to notice or really give a shit about unless they're like abjectly terrible. But a lot of earlier 3D games were working with very limited hardware resources, right? And so a lot of the times the skyboxes in levels were like very noticeable, like to the point where it could even be immersion breaking, um, where, you know, like nobody likes to see clouds above you that are just really painted onto a very large cube that you have to happen to be like existing inside of, right? It really takes right, you out yeah. of it. You can see the seams. Yeah. yeah, I usually see the seams or even the, oh, wait, I'm in a square box. Right, That's exactly. Yeah, and yeah. actually, one of the first things that comes to mind, and we'll end up talking about this someday, uh, is Half-Life. The first Half-Life, the skyboxes in that game in some places are not great. This does something with those and makes it so that you don't really notice them if they're not meant to be noticed, but you 100% know that they're there in the best way possible if they want you to notice. And what I mean by that is you're always in a relatively enclosed space just because of like the rendering limitations at the time. 
But most of the levels, they mask that in such an ingenious way that you never feel like you are just inside of a skybox that's containing you inside of an area because they make really great use of that space. And like one of the perfect examples of this is actually really early in the game where the I believe it was a schoolhouse and it starts splitting apart. And as it's splitting down the seams, the skybox around you is this giant swirling vortex and it just looks mm-hmm. awesome. Like it, it's so cool to just look at. Like I, I actually almost died once because I was just standing there like gawking at the background the whole time, <laughs> but it just yeah. looks really cool. And like that void of space is really neat looking. And then even if they don't have something that's that like in your face, they also make really great use of like negative space as well, where it'll just be honestly, it's just a pure black skybox that's around you, but it's black. So you don't notice. But then they throw in, you know, these really cool like floating, you know, clocks or like Roman numerals and like really other esoteric shit like around there to make it look like it's this vast open space when it's really not. And so, again, kind of a maybe weird thing to like hone in on, but I think it actually is super important and they made really, really good use of sort of the the limited rendering capabilities that they had at the time. And I feel like that should just be pointed out. Yeah, it's actually funny you mention it because I totally forgot, but there's a part that the exact moment that you mentioned where the school splits apart and you have to go to the other side. And I realized I was in this big old vortex and I was staring at it because it was really cool. And then there's this door that comes by through the vortex. Mm-hmm. And as it looks like it's about to careen into you, the door opens and you go through the door frame. And this is all like just background. And I'm like, but it makes like a little, you know, open door noise. I think that's what alerted me to like, what was that? And I just sat there and stared until it came back so I could see what it was because it was, it was just so cool. And like they have like books stacked like yeah. in the yeah, millions, yeah. you know, leading down and that kind of tricks you. And there's actually a, the mechanic I noticed besides noticing these things, but not like rendering them in my head as a mechanic was when you have a bunch of doors and places you can't go into. Like there's a flapping door in the in the schoolhouse you can't actually go through and there's some closed boarded mm-hmm. up doors. And there's like even a big door that's like looks really, you know, intense and and something that's really cool, but you can't go into it. And many games use that now. I think that's more obvious nowadays. Like Persona is the first time I really kind of looked at it where Persona and the newest one, Persona 5, they have when you go into the depths into someone's heart and like have to go through their castle, there's so many doors you can't open. And it's basically just a mechanic. So like instead of walking down an empty hallway, you're open, you're walking down a hallway, with a bunch of doors. So it feels like you're in this intense space. You know, there's so many rooms around you. Uh, just like this cute little mechanic that just tricks you into thinking you're in this really vast school or in this really vast mansion. And I noticed that, but totally forgot to like, you know, the the void and stuff is even cooler than than what they did with the doors. Yeah, no, for sure. And so obviously it doesn't look as good as it did like two decades ago. Right. But honestly, I mm-hmm. think it holds up like impressively well. Again, I played it on PC, but I didn't install like any HD texture pack or anything. I just played the base game. The only thing I did was just for some quality of life is go into the config file of the game and you just basically you edit two lines in there and you can enable any custom resolution that you want. 
And so you can enable, you know, full 1080p in this game and then boot it up and it handles it like a champ. And that's crazy to think that you can do pretty much any custom widescreen resolution that you want with this game and it'll handle it pretty well for something that came out like 20 years ago. But just making that small tweak and then playing it on a widescreen monitor, even with the original graphics, like this game still looks really good. And it's one of those things that we've mentioned before where games that stick to a particular aesthetic are going to generally age much better than something that's trying to be ultra realistic. That is the first thing that's always going to age the worst. Yeah. 100% agree. And because this went with a very specific art style, I think it holds up very, very well. And that's not to say like some of the textures are like they're real rough. Like some of the character textures are super pixelated. But by and large, the, the game itself still looks impressively good for being how old it is. Yeah, I definitely agree. No, uh, no counterpoint for me. All right. So because we are running pretty long, let's uh, let's quickly touch on some of the, the music and sound design on the game. So, Lindsay, what, what do you got to say about that? I actually liked it. I liked it while I was playing it. I remember keeping it on pause and not being able to leave it on pause very long because then I could I really didn't like the music. But most of the time I really enjoyed it. I like kind of the eeriness it had. I liked hearing some of the weird voices they added into some of the music that just sort of was really good background. It really set a really good mood. I, if I stood too long, I could feel a loop. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like when it loops. And again, if I left it on pause, I couldn't for very long. The music is made for you not to get distracted. It's made to just sort of uh, complement the mood. Um, But I, I always want a game to have separate pause music. Like I, if you pause and you're still playing the same music that you were as you're playing the game, I hate it. I will instantly like, what the, why just give me elevator music? You know, like I, I'm not playing the game anymore. So now your music sucks. I need smooth jazz. Yeah. Why, why am I, am, I'm not in a battle. That was, that was sort of thing. I like the music. I wish there was a bit more, uh, variety as in. You know, you're on this level. Here's your level theme. There's no like, I'm about to get into a fight. There's, you know, there's no like, my health is low or I'm about to hit a cutscene. You know, there's nothing. The music didn't do anything other than was there. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't jarred with it. I wasn't and, unless I paused. <laughs> All right. Chris, what about you? What are, what are your thoughts? No. just just no no it's just yeah i okay let me start out with good voice acting i think was pretty good overall whoa hey what we said music music and sound oh music i didn't like at all Uh, i did not like the music (laughs) the drummer from nine inch nails i i don't know his name right now i should have written it in there but he did the music for this game i think with a couple other people And I just didn't care for it. Maybe just because I was so frustrated and angry over the experience I was having that I couldn't get into it. I didn't find it very atmospheric because I was just more frustrated with fighting the environments as opposed to enjoying them. And they are good environments. I mean, don't get me wrong, as we we touched on with the graphics, but just the overall way the game played, it didn't it didn't make me probably enjoy it as much as I could have. I'll put it that way. So I think there were some areas that just grated at me. I think in particular one is like the House of Mirrors where the music I didn't think was very good. 
or areas I just had a lot of frustrations in because I look back and is the music offensive on a whole? No, I don't think so. I think the clock tower, I didn't I didn't mind so much because I was too busy vomiting. But uh, <laughs> for the most part, I think every like the music in the background wasn't bad. And I, I, I'll be I'm probably being harsh if I said all of it sounds like trashy royalty free music on, on a 30 second loop because that's not true. But there are tracks that do sound like that. And it's more than a couple, uh, but it's certainly not the majority of it. Getting into the voice acting, like I just said, it's it's OK. It's for the most part, it's performed very well. And when it's not, it's hilarious. <laughs> and I'll let Shane touch on that because there there is one voice actor in particular that as soon as they started talking, I think I died laughing. I had to pause the game and I was crying. I was oh, just God. crying. OK, it was so hilarious. Yeah. Oh, you want to get into it? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so just real quick on, on the music, I will say that I, I disagree I, I, are there any like phenomenally standout tracks on this? No, not, not at all. But I think the ambiance is perfect for the game and it never really feels out of place or like the score is trying to overshadow the, the action of the game because sometimes that can be very invasive, especially with more games that are of a more horror bent, which this kind of is a little bit. Um, they can tend to, be a little overbearing with the music and yeah. fortunately this did not do that it was scored by marilyn manson right he is the one who had the whole direction of where it should go i thought he did initially and he got he got replaced i actually we would have to fact check that i guess i actually don't know yeah we guess so. the, the music is inoffensive i i actually enjoy it for the most part i didn't think that it was too grating or anything i thought there were some neat creative touches with like the the clock chimes and like the gonging and like towards the end like in the in the red keep or whatever there was like sort of the strangely twisted version of like a, a fairy tale uh a nursery rhyme kind of tune which was kind of cool but um, but it was all right. Uh, however, the voice acting. So by and large, it's actually pretty well done, especially for a game from this era. I want to give a special shout out to the voice actress for Alice, because I actually think she did a exceptional job with the she exception of really her death Fair. screams. And when she does her like <laughs> yeah. Darth Vader, yeah. no. Um, yeah. Those were not great. Um, okay, okay. Look, that wasn't like bad voice acting. That was bad voice direction. I was about to say I, we could maybe chalk, yeah. chalk that up to just bad direction. Let's let's go yeah, with that. It sounded like a totally different. Like when she would like ah or whatever when she get hurt or whatever. It sounded like a totally different. The voice person. clip when like, she's on did. fire is like hilariously <laughs> bad. I don't know what the direction was there, but it, it was not great. Um, however, I feel like we need to talk about one character in particular, and that is the Griffin. Um, oh God, who hired this man and does he still work in the industry? Because I certainly hope he doesn't. Uh, it sounds like they just plucked a dude from like a middle school PTA meeting and asked him to read from a script. Like this man is the audio equivalent of a New Balance shoe. Like, I, I don't know how else to describe him. It's the most like middle of the road, like inoffensive white man voice I've ever heard in my life. And it does not match the Griffin Everyone else at is British. all. 
everybody else is British. And this dude like shows up from Ohio. And he's like, how's it going, everyone? Yeah. I'll be the I'll be the bird. Yeah, he's like, you need to go save them. Like, wh- wh- um, what? It's like yeah. your best friend's stepdad voiced the Griffin. Like, I don't I don't know how that happened. It's, it's Peter Griffin. <laughs> You know what? That might have arguably been better. Like I just and he puts he puts no emotion into any of the lines. Like when he's di- the Griffin is literally dying. It is laying there dying. And Alice is like on her knees talking to her and he's trying to deliver his last words of encouragement of like, you need to go defeat the Red Queen. It's all up to you. Lead our forces into battle. And there's just eh. zero emotion. He's just like, go lead our forces into battle, Alice. Like he's he's bleeding right. out on the ground and there's just like no indication dying. of that in his voice whatsoever. I, I can't. I, right. So oh. my my yeah, I'm done in the game. So, you know, you go ahead. Yeah. Die. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, what's funny is uh, the first thing I thought of is um, I think it's Assassin's Creed mm-hmm. that you're wandering around and you find I, I think it's um Odyssey. Uh, I think it's Odyssey where you're wandering around and you come across this village and you know this is like ancient greek and everyone has like a, a bit of an accent or they speak you know and you talk to this guy and suddenly he's american like <laughs> american we're in like ancient greek you're a spartan and he's like ah hello there and, and you're like what the hell and you you have a whole mission where he, he wants to show off to his kids because they think he's a wuss and and late i'm like what is it, it's it's hilarious because he's like he has no emotion. There's nothing. And so I had to look him up and it turned out to be a baseball player that they had just a celebrity that they had just hired to do a, a random voice character in this game. Oh, great. And that was the first thing I thought of with a Griffin. Like, is this somebody is so, like a celebrity, like some kind of like cameo like they did in Assassin's Creed? That was just totally laughable that like when you hear it, you're like, what? what where am I? <laughs> it's just oh, it pulls you right out of any yeah. scene that he's in because and yeah and Chris makes a good point too like pretty much every other character with the exception of the Cheshire cat has a very pronounced and obvious British accent uh because obviously and then there's this guy that is just like some midwestern white dad that just shows up and starts talking and I just I started laughing the first time he talked. I I couldn't. I just couldn't. (laughs) It was the best. And what they pick for, like, as, I mean, you know, they had already, spoiler, they already smushed the rabbit. So the other character that's supposed to make this great emotional impact on you is, you know, is like, and you know how many okays this had to go through, you know? Yeah, "Yeah, that's fine. Yes, that's fine. Yes, that's fine. Like, at this point in game (laughs) development, we were pretty well past having just like, your your good friend or random guy on the development team doing voice acting like you were hiring voice actors so i don't know how this occurred but you know what some part of me is glad that it did (laughs) (laughs) there's something to be said about american voice actors you know it's usually crap unless it's an american made game and they they hire english speakers and they pay them more than $7 an hour or whatever, you know, usually going to get crap, but this game had such great voice acting for most of it, you know, so they're all creative. They sound like they're really into it. You know, it's nice when you hear that in an American game and then suddenly (laughs) Chris found him (laughs) and yeah, he's exactly right. Just like, 
we've, we've, we ran out of money on everyone else. I'm sorry. <laughs> you get paid the normal voice acting fee that we do on games. And we also get to kill your character. I mean, you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe this was one of his earlier projects. We could go with that. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's what I got to say about the the sound design and stuff. I, I think for the most part, I think it does the job. I think the voice acting by and large is really well done with the exception of that. Anything else that anybody wanted to touch on before we kind of head into the the back half here and finish things up? I did forget to mention something earlier. I really I think this game and this is an early game abnormality mm-hmm. where they have these characters in the game that don't do anything that but they're just there to like when you're in the school and there's those, those babies walking around they each have some kind of like weird brain problem you know one's oh, like right. punching itself or one's crying in a corner you know just like oh, these yeah, little yeah. things and and those are scattered throughout the game where my first thought is do i need to kill this thing because that's how it is in early games you see something you usually probably have to kill it or you know something and i i thought that was kind of neat that they had all these like npcs that didn't do anything. They're just there, but they made noise and they sort of filled the world. Yeah. Like Humpty Dumpty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which he also just shows up randomly and then does nothing. That was weird. Yeah. Like the moving clocks or um, there's a lot of those things, like even in the background of the Humpty Dumpty or even like some of the statues that would move or, you know, the clocks that would move. One last point real quick before we move on. I just want to say, since Chris brought up this guy's acting resume, he also did the voice lines for Tweedledee, Tweedledum, the Mock Turtle, the Griffin, and the Voracious Centipede in this game. So the guy actually has some range. He's not bad. So what the fuck happened with the Griffin? Yeah, that's so odd because the Mock Turtle was really funny, but like his voice was, I was cool with it. I was like, this, yeah, he's wearing a diaper and he's half bull, half turtle. What else was he going to sound like? <laughs> <laughs> I- I wonder I wonder if they just ran out of time and he recorded like those lines as a stand in. <laughs> like yeah, they, and they just uh, never redid them. <laughs> right. Like just putting the voices as a holding point. So when we run through the game, we know that like the code is running so we can put in voice yeah, acting. Yeah. We'll get back to it later. And they just never did. The pronunciation's wonder- correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK. Yeah. Oh, and man. that's what we're running with. <laughs> Good point. Well, huh, but, that uh, is very strange. That's very odd. Yeah. By the way, the composer for the game, since we didn't put his name out there and we were discussing it, is Chris Verena, who was the drummer or is the drummer of Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, he's the composer, but uh, Marilyn Manson scored it as in he, you know, he told where the music was going to go in certain parts. Right. That's what you mean when you score music, right? Sure. Listen, I don't know. Don't put. <laughs> okay, right? Marilyn Manson was originally involved for scoring the music. His composition, uh, it persisted into the final product, but it, he wasn't the main person. That's so odd. Hey, Marilyn, will you score this? Yeah. Uh, never mind. You know, like, <laughs> what was that decision? It's the same one where they ran out of uh, voice direction for the Griffin. It sort of just fell off. Apparently. Yeah. All right. So uh, going into the last section of what we usually like to cover is whether or not the game still holds up today. So, uh, you know what? Let's start with Chris. Chris, what what what's your take? Jesus, fuck. No, (laughs) no, 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 it doesn't. And okay, and I'll even provide some some more to this because Shane's probably going to say as a PC game, it plays better. And I'm sure it does. But the easiest way that people are going to be able to play this game today, 
bar none is through Game Pass on whatever you have Game Pass on. It's I think it's just Xbox because you can't get Game pa- you can't play this on Game Pass the Microsoft Store PC because it's through EA Play. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a EA Play game. So you have to play this on your Xbox One Series S or Series X. And that's probably the easiest way you can play this game. And I can tell you playing this game with a controller, it is complete and total ass because it will it frustrated me uh, to the point where I just didn't want to like play it anymore. Kind of like, you know, Shane and Tiger did for Bubsy 3D. It was that rough for me, but I got to a point where the game started being fun uh, with uh, once I got to the chess level. And there's still a lot of issues, especially with the platforming. But when it's all said and done, I hate to say this. I really hate to say this because it's a much better game than than a game that we've done before. But I had more fun with Bubsy 3D than I did with this game. I had more fun. (laughs) I'm not saying it's a I'm not saying it's a worse game than Bubsy 3D. But I think it's because I went into Bubsy 3D thinking it was knowing it was a terrible game. And I went into Alice expecting something more and found something that was was below average, at least the way I view it today. So, no, it does not hold up. All right. What about you, Lindsay? What are your thoughts? Well, I actually did play Bubsy 3D when uh, Josh was preparing to be on the podcast, and I definitely won't go that far. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) I did not enjoy, although I found some mechanics that Josh didn't realize you could do in Bubsy 3D. That might be a... Uh, a skill of mine that I didn't realize I really had. So I might have uh, had an easier time with Alice than I think I should have because I didn't really accept a lot of things like, oh, I can't, I, I have to jump on this vine. No, thank you. I'll just run through the poison gas. Oh, I'm supposed to just run from these enemies? No, I think I'll just kill them. So I sort of like did what I forced it, force wanted it to happen. And I remember like reading a guide and it's saying, just run through these. And then I'm like, no, no, I killed them all. Why don't you just kill them? It's easier that way. They don't respond. So I, I think I was okay with a lot of it. Um, it was literally just the mechanics of platforming that really, really got me down because I was I was able to find ways around melee. So I think um, I think it uh, does it hold up today. <laughs> I think it does, but maybe for someone patient, I don't know if I would say like, hey, you should really play this game. I feel like I would wait to know someone's personality and be like, have you ever tried to play Alice? <laughs> <laughs> so like, I, th- I feel like I would actually keep playing it, but I, I keep remembering what part I'm on and so I don't want to play it. So I, uh, uh, I, I think no, but it, it all it needs is a few tweaks. So I think it should be one of those games that might be that should be remade as far as not like just totally remade, but maybe just gone through and fixed a bit. And then I would say definitely go play it. But as of now, I, I don't I don't know if I want to. If I'd want to wish that on somebody <laughs> unless they maybe played on PC. <laughs> <laughs> OK, that's fair. Um, so I, I will say in my definitely not objective opinion that I still had a lot of fun playing through this game again. Uh, it's been a while since I had fired it up and by and large, I enjoyed my time. So do I think it holds up in a more general sense? 
Yes, with a pretty strong caveat with it, which is that I would not recommend anybody play this on the console. And unfortunately, given that that is the easiest vector to obtain and play this game, that makes it a really rough recommendation. Um, However, if you can get a copy on PC and I will, (laughs) you know what? I don't even care. Well, first of all, fuck EA, but like I'll put it out there. It is really easy to find online. Just go to an abandoned wear site and you can download the disc images and just install it that way. It's really not that difficult. So if you really want to experience it, I would say try to put in a little bit of effort and play it on the PC because that's going to be the best way to do it. Trying to play this game with a controller is, I'm sure, from what I've gathered, a nightmare, and I certainly wouldn't want to do it. Um, and I would also say just play it on easy. You know what? Put put your put your gamer pride aside and just play it on easy. If for nothing else to just experience the art direction and the story, because that's really the game's strengths. The gameplay is not in with all of those sort of <laughs> gotchas included. I would say, yes, it can hold up under the right conditions. But I think honestly, if I'm being objective about it for most people, probably not, which is a shame um, because I do think that Lindsay's right. If this game were to receive the you know HD remaster or remake treatment and they were to fix up the controls, make a control like a more modern 3D game um, and maybe rebalance some of the weapons and make melee not suck and give you like an actual dodge i actually think this game would be real real solid but until some of those more you know archaic mechanics and and relics of being a 20 plus year old game get shaken off i think for most people it might be a pass you might just want to play madness returns because it's a continuation of the story but it's kind of essentially a very similar experience but packaged a lot nicer yeah i heard madness returns fixes a lot of the issues that we were talking about today it does yeah it does okay i want to reiterate the play on easy thing too i was playing it on medium and i i should have just played on easy and it's not like you know it's it's harder and more of a challenging gameplay you're just the the fighting of the mechanics is always going to be there you might as well just put it on easy you're you know that's what you're really playing so I Unless you want that. to scream very loudly and pound your head through a wall. Play right, it on. Right. I can't imagine what it's like on Nightmare. There's no way. No, no. It's exactly that. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that brings our discussion of American McGee's Alice to a close. And so first and foremost, we want to thank our esteemed guest, Lindsay, for joining us yet again on the show. It is always a pleasure to have you here. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. Thank you, Lindsay. It was a great time. And uh, so, you know, what we usually do is, you know, ask if there's anything in particular that you'd like to put out there, anything that you want to promote or plug. So is there anything that you want to tell the the fine people listening at home about, Lindsay? Get vaccinated. All right. I agree. Agreed. Okay. Or not. I don't know. I mean, we are in Florida, so I don't know. Yeah. Is har har the correct response? I was worried there because <laughs> yeah. I don't want to make it. No, don't get vaccinated. 
<laughs> yeah, um, I don't do what you want, but no, I don't have any. I don't have any plugs. I have a Twitter. It's at Power Beanie, as if like you know the hat, but powerful Power Beanie. There you go. That's me at Twitter. It's not very. It's very active, but there's no content. <laughs> Fantastic. So go check it out, everybody. Uh, and as far as we are concerned, if you are listening to the show, that that means you have found us. So hi, hello, welcome. We're, we're glad that you're here. If you would like to engage with the show in some different ways beyond just listening, then we do have those avenues available to you in the form of a public discord uh, or the Patreon or the Twitch channel or the YouTube channel. And you can also check out the merch store and all of these things are available to you in one convenient location. And that happens to be our link tree. So you can head to linktree slash retro hangover. That is L I N K T R dot E E slash retro hangover. And you can choose the destination that suits you best. And Chris, would you like to take a moment to expound upon the Twitch stream Sundays? Yes. At 9 PM Eastern time on Sundays ish, you will see us streaming a game of some sort on twitch.tv slash retro hangover. So head on over there. We have interesting conversations. We're having a lot of interesting conversations at the time of this recording. So, hey, come on over, contribute. We talk about all sorts of stuff. It can be weird. It can be fun. It can be semi-serious. We go all over the place, and I think you'll enjoy it, too. As an addendum as well, what is today? Uh, the Well, not today, today, but the day is uh, released, like October 3rd. Uh, how about October 5th? We'll close off the time to take questions for the Ask Me Anything in a very special episode coming up here soon. Oh, uh, yes. Maybe. Ep- yes. So send in your questions, uh, whatever questions you may have. You can contact us on any of our socials for that question, or you can uh, reach out to us on podcast at retrohangover.com. And we will do what we can to feature all the questions that will be there. I'm not imagining it'll be too many, but now that I've said that, it'll probably be like 300. So there it is. That's right. The more the merrier. I mean, after all, it is it is content for you fine folks. So, you know, a- ask any questions, anything that's been burning that you just must know. Now, now is your opportunity. All right. Well, with all of that being said, until next time. Play with your bleeding Vorpal Blade joysticks. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in head first with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash rhpbones. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.